0: Our God, You are kind enough to feed us. We pray, O Lord, that You would feed us with true manna from above, that You would cause us to drink from streams of living water as we pant for them. Feed us, cause us to drink, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Psalms 42 and 43, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Why are you cast down, on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I believe it was at the start of this month that we covered one of the psalms, the first psalm of Book 4, Psalm 90. Now, this evening, we move backwards by looking at the first two psalms of Book 2. We are looking at Psalms 42 and 43 because these two psalms go together. We know that they are meant to be read, they are meant to be sung together, at least because of two features. The first is that thematically, they are connected the theme is very clear. The theme here is hope in God. That's the refrain, something we see in Psalm 42 verse 5, Psalm 42 verse 11, and then Psalm 43 verse 5, three times that call to hope in God. Also, Psalms 42 through 49 are all songs from the sons of Korah. And so this is a a mini section in the book of Psalms. And every psalm in this mini-section says that these are songs from the sons of Korah except Psalm 43. You can look at all the superscriptions, and you'll see that Psalm 43 does not have that that, uh, indication that this is of the sons of Korah. Connecting Psalms 42 and 43, who are these sons of Korah? Well, the relevance of their identity will soon become clear, but for now, we recall from the Old Testament that these men were Levites who served the temple. Some of these were musicians, others were gatekeepers, but all of them were devoted to serving, in some capacity, the temple of God. These sons unremarkably come from Korah, which makes sense since they are sons of Korah. And you'll remember from Numbers chapter 16, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram all conspired against Moses. That was a great episode in which God opened the earth to swallow up these these 'er ne'er-do-wells, these wicked men. Not all the sons of Korah, however, were killed by God when He opened the earth, something we learn in Numbers 26, verse 10. The theme of these two psalms, as I've already said, is the call to hope. Which call to hope assumes that there can occasionally be despair in the air? A question in these psalms is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Or, why are you in turmoil within me? There is much distress in these words. And where there is much distress, there is a great need of much hope. A point this evening is, the distressed saint always has hope in God. Psalm 42, verse 1, again says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The start of the psalm is perfectly in character with the cry of the psalmist. No sooner does the psalm, as it were, enter the pages of Scripture than it desperately cries out for help. Cries out for thirst, or because, of there's, because there's thirst, because there are tears, because there's much turmoil. The psalmist says, I'm like a deer that has been wandering I'm like a deer that has been searching for water, but the streams have all dried up. I cannot get what I'm searching for. As the deer shows signs of emaciation, so does the soul signify weakness. The psalmist feels spiritually shipwrecked, wading in water, surrounded by water, but none of this water drinkable. And as he floats, his body fades away, his spirit drifts away from refreshment. And not only is this psalmist full of thirst, but his eyes are full of tears. Indeed, he says, his tears have been his food day and night. His breakfast is new morning miseries, not mercies. His lunch and dinner are glasses of his own tears. And so he asks himself, why are you cast down O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Now most Christians find a place for this question in their lives from time to time. And it's okay if these questions, why are you cast down on my soul, or why are you in turmoil within me, it's okay, you're not less Christian if you have these questions. In fact, you are engaging in a spiritual battle. I'd be surprised if none of us ever had that question, that none of us have ever struggled with that question. The question would be like, are you living? Do you, do you feel, are you detached from reality? Surely you know suffering. Surely you know your own sin and the effect that, that has with communion with God. And so wouldn't we wonder from time to time why we, our soul is cast down? why there's turmoil within us. These psalms are great psalms for those saints who are from time to time depressed or significantly severely distressed. And what we see in these two psalms are three possible causes of a distressed spirit, three possible causes of a depressed saint. Now, I say possible causes, and I say three, not three because there are only three possible causes of depression or a distressed spirit, but that there are three that we see here. It's not an exhaustive list. And I say possible because you might not be depressed in any of these situations. For instance, the second cause is adversity from enemies. Just because you face the the, the attacks of the enemy, you face the adversity from enemies, does not necessarily mean that you will be depressed. But it is a possible cause for that. And so the first possible cause we have here is found in verse 3 the absence of God. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? This son of Korah had immediately felt the absence of the presence of God. Now, if you had a tall glass of water right before you and you were super thirsty, You wouldn't say, oh, where is the water that my body so desperately needs? You would just grab it and drink it down and probably ask for another. But this son of Korah thirsts for living God because he does not sense the presence of God. Now, he feels God's absence because he is literally away from God's special presence. He is away from the temple, and the temple in the Old Testament... And before the temple, it was a tabernacle. Before that, it was Eden. That was a most special presence of God. That's where you experienced, more than anywhere else, the means of grace, God's communion. And so he feels it because he is literally, geographically, away from the temple. The man is exiled in Jordan, we learn, held up in the Hermon Mountains beyond the northern border Uh, Boundary of Israel at Mount Mitzar, a smaller mountain in the area. He is about 124 miles away from the temple. Here's a man who has been set apart by God to serve in the temple, and he is away from the temple. What for us today would take a simple two-hour drive would have taken him days to get there. And for some reason, he can't get home. He wants to. He yearns to be home, but he can't get home. He can't get to the passion of his life. He can't return to corporate worship. This absence from God is deeply connected with the absence from God's people. Verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I poured out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He missed the ones that he led in worship. He missed the ones that he sang songs with. He missed all those gracious festivals instituted by the Lord. They are not. They weren't legalistic rituals, but they were means of grace. He missed all of those so that he, he's no longer reminded of God's gracious provision for the soul and the body. He couldn't sing with others, I know that my Redeemer lives. Glory, hallelujah. He didn't know when we will feast in the house of Zion would be reality for him. And so he longed for the presence of God. And we need to ask ourselves, do the psalmist's words resonate with us? One man comments, Perhaps for those who attend two worship services every Sunday, it is hard to identify with the sadness of one who cannot appear before the Lord. And may we never have to feel the absence of God like this psalmist did. But sometimes it's hard for our minds, our our lives, to to get behind this, to, to really experience what's going on here. Because we are used to a rhythm of corporate worship, we meet every Lord's Day at least once, and sometimes twice. And that is a blessing. And we don't have the same reasons for being away from God's corporate presence than this man did. Sometimes we seem too easily just to to get away, or the slightest inconvenience will keep us home. Do we feel turmoil within if we find ourselves away from the assembly of the saints for one, two, three, or, or more weeks, can't help but think of our own deployed members who feel this to some extent when they are away from us. They long to come back. Or consider that uh, those many months during the season of COVID when we didn't have a regular worship service, and when we did, it was abbreviated, and we were in two different services because we were socially distancing, and people did not like not being with one another. It was not pleasant. We just were itching to get back to be together to worship our God. Is it odd to miss a Lord's Day? Does it feel weird to spend your Sundays not worshiping God? I'm not talking about those times when you are providentially hindered. But even those times, surely you, you yearn to be with, with one another. You yearn to worship God. But because of sickness or travel or some other reason, you, you can't. And the Lord knows that. The psalmist knew that. Doesn't it, does it not feel right to be gone when others are here, assembled, worshiping? It shouldn't feel right. You shouldn't be okay with that absence. It shouldn't feel right because the soul's deepest object of satisfaction is God Himself. He is, as the psalmist says, our exceeding joy. He's not just one of our joys. He's not just one of the delightful things about our lives. He is our exceeding joy. He is the one who has given us life and breath in all things. And we exist to worship Him. We exist to glorify Him. We exist to enjoy Him exceedingly. And so when we don't have that, when we are denied for one reason or another, when we absent ourselves from one, for one reason or another from the corporate worship of God, that could, if done consistently, If denied this for a while, that could render the soul depressed, distressed, despondent. This perspective can be clouded by the adversity that we face from others. So here is a second possible cause of depression or a distressed or despondent spirit. To be away from God's presence was hard enough to bear, but he was being taunted as well. Here we have adversity from his enemies again imagine him at the table drinking his tears as they are streaming down his face and others at the table are making fun of him say ha ha look at that where's your food your plate is empty where's your god he's nowhere to be found where's the one who supposedly fed his people manna in the wilderness Or well, maybe he fed them but he doesn't care to feed you Where's the one who supposedly satisfied Elijah during that three-year famine? Maybe Maybe he really did feed Elijah, but he just doesn't care enough to feed you. Look around, he is nowhere to be found. The psalmist lacked light from God's face, and his enemies pointed out the darkness. The psalmist was pleading for justice, and the enemies denied God as the judge of all the earth who does right. The psalmist went around with a wound in his body, and his enemies sought him, caught him, and rubbed salt in his wound. made matters worse. Surely, that can influence the spirit to such a degree that we are depressed, distressed, despondent. We might take on the posture of Job, whose friends, supposed friends, attacked him. Here are men who are supposed to comfort him, who actually become his enemies. And from time to time, we might face real enemies, or we might have friends who betray us, and we wonder if God has as well. A third possible cause is the attrition of influence, or as Sinclair Ferguson in his book Deserted by God says, a loss of role. Remember that this son of Korah recalls leading the people in worship. That's what he says in verse 4. I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He was the worship leader. He was the one who would start the service. He was the one who would give the call to worship. Offer the scripture readings. Pray the prayers. Pronounce the benediction. Explain the word. I would lead them. I would tell them where to sit so they can commune with God. This is like the disciples giving all that bread and fish after Jesus' great miracle, and then saying that they are no longer, their services are no longer required. It's like the pastor who has loved to lead worship now finds himself without that role. It's like the mom who raised children, ushered them out of the house, and now mom life looks dramatically different. Perhaps she yearns for the days of changing the the diapers, because then the baby would be in her arms and not out in the real world. It's like the soldier who put in 30 years in the military and doesn't know what to do with his life. Or like the man who worked his whole life but cannot now work and he wonders if he is any just fill in the blank, to to lose your role, to lose your influence, might lead you in a tailspin, to drive you into despair. And so we must know our distressed condition before we can apply God's remedy to it. When we face weeks, months, seasons away from God, surely our spirits weaken. When we don't hear, sing, or eat, and drink God's means of grace, we surely thirst When we have been away from God's presence, we wonder if God has left us as well. Or when we face trials of various kinds, our enemies, even our relatives, may challenge us. They might say, Well, I thought you were a Calvinist. Isn't God in control? Aren't you one of the elect? Doesn't God keep his eye on you? Doesn't God care about you? Preservation of the saints. It's one of your tenets. God's not preserving you, it doesn't look like it, anyways. We might have a a Mrs. Job yelling in our ear, curse God and die. And when our friends have betrayed us, again, we might wonder if God has betrayed us as well. Or when we face a loss of influence or a diminishment in our role, we might be tempted to despair. When our athletic ability can no longer be used, we might be tempted to be despondent. Having been a teacher for many years, one of the things I saw was this People had, juniors and seniors had invested so much, many years, so much of their, their time, their energy, working hard with their body to do the sport that they were doing, football, basketball, soccer, whatever it was, and they had an injury, or they can no longer do that thing that they are so good at doing. And so many students I saw would just wonder if God left them, if God loved them. Why would God take this beautiful ability of mine away? Doesn't He want me to use the gifts that He has given me? And thankfully, I've seen many come out of that distress, that depression, and find real satisfaction, real contentment in the Lord and in whose they are and not in what they do. When we are no longer able to sing in the choir, can we go on praising When we are made for work and we cannot find a job, might we sink into depression? I love to work. It's wonderful. I imagine, I think I would be most tempted in that capacity. I can't find a job. God made me to to do. He made me to work, work hard. It would be really hard to be without a job for a long time. Christ knew a distressed spirit, and at much deeper levels, so that you and I wouldn't. It was Christ who, seeing his beloved friend Lazarus, burst into tears. It was Christ who said, just before the cross, now is my soul troubled. It was Christ who said, on the cross, I thirst. It was of the hanging Christ that some mocked. He trusted in God. Let God deliver deliver him now. And it was the son who said to his father in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ knew the spirit. He knew that affliction at much deeper levels than we ever will know. Thanks be to him. It is these foundational truths of our Messiah that we must recall for our remedy. This son of Korah had legitimate spiritual reasons for his soulish distress. To be away from God is the worst a creature made in the image of God could ever experience. That's why hell is most horrifying. Not because God isn't there, God is omnipresent, but because God's blessed presence is stripped from hell. There isn't communion, there's just wrath. To be a righteous saint and yet taunted by the foolish and the wicked is a hard trial to bear. To be denied the performance of what you were called to do surely can lead you to be discouraged. What remedies are available to the life that finds itself deeply distressed as we have here? These beautiful remedies, there are four of them, are set in the context of a conversation with yourself. Psalm 42, verse 5, the psalmist is saying to himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? It's as if he's having a conversation, and his soul is right here, and he's talking to his soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? This is a good kind of self-talk. This is not the self-talk that you get today. You're enough. Just look at yourself in the mirror and say, You got this. Okay, you're the best person ever. That sounded like Trump. That was unintentional. <laughs> I often think of uh, the help. You is kind. You was smart. You is important. <laughs> that's not what that's not what the psalmist is doing here. The psalmist is not saying I'm kind. I'm smart. I'm important. You know, I, I do good things. And people love me, for crying out loud. No, that's not where he's finding his remedy. He's not finding his remedy in himself, though he is talking to himself. The remedies here, again, are fourfold. The first one is hope in God. Again, that's the theme in, this, in these two Psalms. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. You have heard the man struggle. There is a battle here between his eyes of flesh and his eyes of faith. And when you read some of these verses, you say, it sure sounds hopeless. But then you keep reading. You say, well, maybe it's not entirely hopeless. You can see the struggle. This is the, like the Romans 7, the, the stuff of Paul. But here in the Psalms, Psalm 42, verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And so we ask. He, 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 he believes, doesn't he, that God has forgotten him? But he has confessed that God is his rock. Or in Psalm 42, verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? So he is tempted to believe the taunt, Where is your God? Your God is nowhere. But then, in verse 5, he prays to God. He says, My salvation and my God. So there's that struggle Although to part of him, God seems dead, he knows with sure hope that God is his living God. And so, likewise, we need to regularly call ourselves to hope in God. I don't think we are naturally hopeful people. It's probably why um, I felt the difficulty of some of you getting on board with this morning's message, although a lot of the feedback I got was thankful. Thankful. Thank you, Pastor Mock. That was a, a message full of hope. Well, great. That's exactly what I was intending. But well, We are so you know, naturally Debbie Downers, if you will. that, And we, we know our sin. We know suffering. We're so quick to just tend towards pessimism and say, this whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. There's no king on the throne. And so we need to be regularly reminded to hope in God. Memorize this verse, as as one of you I know already has. Memorize this verse. Remind, Remind yourself of it. Call, recall to your mind the hope that there is in God. So call yourself to hope in God and fill your heart, fill your mind with God's Word that you have some substance, you have the foundation on which that hope is built. There is a surefire way of filling your heart with hope. It is the Word of God. We fill our hearts with the truth that God has been the living God for all eternity. We stuff our spirits with the soul-stabilizing truth that God is our rock, even as we feel the ocean's breakers overwhelming us, choking us. As we go about mourning, we remember that this is really the lot of the enemies. This is what they will do for all eternity. As we feel the darkness engulfing us, we recall that God's truth drives out all darkness, that darkness. We are, even now, in the kingdom of light. The darkness doesn't win, but light does. Light exposes the darkness. Light wins out. We remember that though we might be exiled now, exile is not our forever home. And so we fortify our lives with the truth that God is our God, that God is our salvation, not because of our love for Him, but what Psalm 42 verse 8 says, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love because of God's love for you. That's why you can hope. That's why you can recall God, because God is for you, because God loves you. He made you. He saved you. He sustains you. He will glorify you. Hope in God. Remember God. Pray to God. Fueled with Bible-saturated hope, this son of Korah prays to his God. Now, I don't know how much he felt like praying, Maybe he thought it was just, he was going to do it because that was his duty. But it doesn't sound like that. He certainly felt rejected. In Psalm 43, verse 2, he asks, Why have you rejected me? So you can imagine the struggle to talk with someone that you believe has rejected you. Do you want to talk with people who have distanced themselves from you? No, it's not a, it's not a pleasant thing. You feel rejected by them, so why would you talk with them? And yet, in the same verse, he acknowledges acknowledges that God is his refuge. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Calvin says that the best time to pray is when you feel that God has flung you far away from him. So rather than letting your depression be cause for prayerlessness... May it stir you up, and that's that's key. I've counseled many depressed counselees, and they feel like they can't do anything. That's part of the malady of depression. I don't even want to get out of bed. I don't even want to brush my teeth. I don't want to. I don't want to eat anything. I don't want to think. I'm just going to be. I don't want to pray. It's so hard to pray. Yes, it is hard to pray. Spiritual things, spiritual disciplines are hard sometimes. Don't be tempted or don't give in to that temptation to give up your prayers to God. Pray to God. Even when you feel like you're doing, you don't need to do anything or you can't do anything, you are left with yourself. You can't escape yourself. And you're left, more foundationally, with your refuge who is God. And so pray. Pray as the psalmist prays. Pray for deliverance. Deliverance from that depression, from that distress spirit, from the enemies. Vindication. Pray for justice. Pray for light. Pray for a greater sense of His presence, or even the slightest sense of God's presence. Pray that all areas of your heart would align to affirm fully that God is your exceeding joy, even though it seems like an insurmountable mountain to call God your exceeding joy. The Lord loves to answer the regular, fervent pleas of his distressed saints. Hope in God, remember God, pray to God, and as we see here in Psalm 42 verse 5, sing to God. In this hope of his, he sings lament. The song of distress is also a song of faith. Do you realize that? The psalms are full of laments. but One of the most ironic and glorious realities is that every last one of these psalms of lament is a song of faith. Yes, even that mostly troubling Psalm 88. Some do not care so much to sing the psalms because to them the psalms are dirges. Well, in truth, there are many dirge-sounding psalms, and we are commanded to sing them. Suffering is a mark of this side of the new heavens and earth. And we need songs for the suffering. It's not all just happy and clappy. There are times of great affliction. There's times of, of great depression. Of significant sin and pain. Deep calls to deep. The breakers in your waves have gone over me. This isn't a light affliction for the psalmist. It's heavy. Or even in Psalm 38, when the psalmist says that he's weighed down because he feels the hand of God pressing down upon him, that's literally depression, pressed down. These are psalms of lament, and they're necessary for us. Nevertheless, there is more God-inspired optimism and robust hope in these psalms than we think. And this morning, I selected just a few from the gobs and gobs of hope in the psalms. I think I had Psalm 2 and Psalm 22. There's many more. And these psalms, 42 and 43, but all the rest of the psalms of the sons of Korah, they sing out grace now remember how I started the sermon—that these men come from that rebellious Korah. What an awful reputation to know that your ancestor hated Moses and Moses is God. Can you imagine that. It'd be painful. What an embarrassment to have the memory of your father's judgment recorded in Scripture. But oh, what exceeding joy to have seen yourself in Numbers 26.10. But the sons of Korah did not die. These sons are living proof that God is their salvation, that God is their God, that God is their rock, that God is their refuge, that God is their exceeding joy. God didn't merely spare them from the earth's mouth as it swallowed up granddad. God redeemed these sinners and converted them into singers. Imagine that grace. But their story is our story. He changed our songs of hatred with songs of love for God, songs of love from God. Yes, we still mourn. Yes, we still suffer. Yes, we still lament. Yes, we still must call ourselves to hope in God because there is great suffering and there's great sin. We still thirst, but we thirst knowing that to the thirsty he will give from the spring of the water of life. We still shed tears, but we shed tears knowing that all our tears have been kept in God's bottle and will one day be wiped away. We still sorrow, But we sorrow knowing that our ultimate sorrow has been turned into eternal joy because of our risen joy, the resurrected Lord. When your soul is downcast, dearly beloved, hope in the God of all hope. Remember the God of the resurrection. Pray to the God who hears the prayers of his righteous. Sing praises of salvation to your exceeding joy. You are his and he is yours because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. O God, our exceeding joy, we pray that you would become our exceeding joy more and more as we reflect on the promises that you have given us, the fulfillment of those promises, as we reflect upon Jesus Christ. May you fill our hearts more and more with hope and face the battles of the day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.